I'm Mae Hamilton, and this is Unpacked, the podcast that unpacks one tricky topic in travel each week. This week, we're chatting with comedian, activist, and podcast host Young Me Mayer, who's based in New York City's Chinatown. I first came upon Young Me on Instagram. I don't remember exactly how. Maybe a friend had reposted her onto a story. Her posts about not quite fitting in with Korean or American culture really resonated with me and made me feel seen in a way I hadn't before as a half Taiwanese and half white American person. Soon, I was tuning in weekly to her podcast, Harry Butthole, and I quickly became a big Young Me fan. In this episode, Young Me and I chat about a recent trip she took to her childhood homes in Korea and Saipan, an island near Guam. Young Me had a traumatic childhood, a subject which makes a regular appearance in her stand up. So, returning home for her has always been a bit complicated. And this time, she brought her young son Mino. So, we discussed what it's like to travel to a place that has emotional baggage for you and how to still find beauty in it. We also talk about Asian moms, what it's like to be biracial and Asian American, and why these identities can be so complex. Hey, young me. I've been following you and listening to Harry Butthole for a while. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Me too. So I guess just to know a little bit more about you, like how did you first get into comedy? I first got into comedy in 2018. I had a realization that you know, I was sort of living my life in a way that I didn't want to. It's so cliche. And I'm so sad to tell my story because I feel like there's 800 similar stories. For some reason, women are married and they have a kid, they get divorced and then they do stand up comedy. Um, But that's (laughs) that's also my story. But I think I had I think that part of it maybe that's a little different is that I had this like epiphany in therapy where I realized that I was living my life in this way that I thought that I was supposed to and I was very unhappy and um, yeah I was like you know married kind of stay-at-home mom and I'm very careful to say here that nobody made me do that like I just I just thought I had to, you know, like my ex-husband didn't make me do that. I was like, I'm going to do this. And I'm too embarrassed to like actually say out loud that I want to do comedy. And then I think through therapy, I realized that that was making me really unhappy. So, Mm, yeah, I see. I think I remember you saying you used to be like a really shy and reserved person before you got into comedy. What was it about it that you were like able to make the leap into it? Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of people are really surprised that I was really shy. I was like the person that like, you know, hated speaking in front of people and having any kind of attention. I think this is where it's going to get a little like woo woo, like gemstones or (laughs) but I'm like a cancer rising, but my sun sign is Sagittarius. So I feel like, you know, if you know about astrology, I think it's like very sort of classic I'm a classic Sagittarius, you know, if you see me today, but I think it was my cancer rising, making me a little shy in the first half of my life, I guess. Yeah, those water signs, I get it. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it is such a gift to the world that you went into comedy, honestly. Thank you. Um, So with people who might not be familiar with your stand-up or your podcast, what topics do you really like to cover and, you know, what interests you? I guess the majority of like my focus has been my Asian biracial identity and like being Korean. And 
you know, sort of approaching it from this very unique standpoint, I think, as somebody that's like biracial, but I grew up in Korea and I moved to the States when I was 20. And so I have a lot of similar, I I share a lot of like similarities with Asian Americans, but then there are some differences. And so that's probably my main focus. But then I also talk just about being a single mom and just sort of being chaotic and whatever that brings and feminism and just my core beliefs, which are obviously like Asian, what's it called? Like social justice. Is that the right term? Is that creeping people out? Like (laughs) Asian identity politics and standing up for, you know, Asian people's rights and feminism and sort of subverting stereotypes around all of those topics. Like I like to show people that I'm not what people expect from an Asian woman. So that it sort of allows other Asian women and people that live the way I do to feel like they have the right to, you know? Yes, I love that. Kind of just get into like the humanity and complexity of things. But okay, so for people who don't know, um, I'm also mixed Asian American. So what is that like for you? Like, what are the complexities of this identity? What does it feel like? Well, first of all, I have to say I knew that right off the bat because I feel like we are we always we see each other, each other right? Yes. <laughs> I could tell from a mile away. So I guess that's like one part of it. You know, a lot of us are invisible, right? Like I'm sure you've experienced this. People think that you're either Asian or Asian people are like, we don't know what you are, but you're not us. And like we people don't immediately see you as biracial, I think, unless they are biracial or mixed themselves. So we are invisible. Right. And I think that is very unique because even though all of us people as mixed race, biracial people, whatever mix you are, we have very similar lives and experiences. Exactly. But because we're like not really grouped together, we're always like stragglers and like (laughs) we're like with the Korean group, kind of, or like the white group, kind of, or, you know, the, like, whatever race you are, I'm sure that you feel kind of like you're like, adjacent to it. Yes. But no one ever like puts us together in a room. So we can never like band together and, you know, (laughs) overthrow the government, which I feel like we could do, right? We totally could. Right? Yes. But they're just they're too afraid of our power (laughs) to put us together, I think. (laughs) And then a a part of like why I think a lot of mixed race people are invisible in America specifically. I, I'm not sure. Are you, you're based in America, right? Yes. Okay. I'm in LA. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I don't know if you're like a sneaky Canadian or, <laughs> but especially in America, it's even worse, I think, because other places in the world, like in Korea, there's like a word for it. But in America, you know, because of the history of the one drop rule and you know, like those anti-race mixing laws. Right. It's so harsh here. It's like either you're one thing or the other. And and um, so I think we're very invisible here. I agree. And I think what you were saying about like not belonging quite to one community or the other, that suffering, I think, <laughs> makes us quite powerful. Suffering. Yes. <laughs> it has like forged us suffering. into, into you know, stronger people, I think. I hope. <laughs> and also it's made us weirdly like feel like we're really special. I went to this like comedy show and I didn't know this at the time, but my friend invited me and it was for mixed Asians. 
and the person sitting next to me, she was like, I, I don't like being in this room because I feel like I like being the only one. I'm special. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? And she was like, oh, didn't you know this is like a mixed Asian comedy show? And I looked around the room and I was like, oh, my God, everyone is so hot. <laughs> like I was like... <laughs> I and I didn't even notice because like we're invisible, you know. And I, I looked around. I was like, "Oh my god, everyone is like mixed Asian here." And I was like, "Damn!" And I was like, "I am uncomfortable. I'm a little uncomfortable. We're all gonna like fight to the death. There's only gonna be one that comes out." That's so true. That's so true. <laughs> we would just like eat each other like like hamsters or something. Ugh, so nice to talk to you about about these things. You get it. <laughs> Yeah, over Zoom, because if we were in the same room, we would fight until only one of us remained. Exactly. It would probably be you. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like you're like a sleeper, like <laughs> sleeper, fighter. Sleeper. It's always the quiet ones. Yes. Just kidding. <laughs> so one of the things that I really love that you did recently, I think in the last few months, that I think has been kind of new is doing these little vlogs of your travel experiences and just, I don't know, being out and about and... One of the ones that you did like a few months ago is about you traveling to Saipan in Korea. So do you mind talking a bit about that trip, like how long it was, just all the basics? Sure. So, you know, that was my first time back to Korea and Saipan, which is a small island in the Marianas, which is in Micronesia. And I half of my childhood, I grew up in Korea and the other half I grew up on Saipan. And I used to visit Korea very frequently because my parents live there and I have a son and, I, you know, obviously I would take him, but I hadn't been back since COVID. So last summer was the first time I've been back in maybe three years at least. And, and it was my first time back on Saipan since I was 18 years old. And it was a month long and we stayed with my parents and I was like kind of scared because I'm like, as part of the subverting Asian stereotypes thing, I'm very open about like my childhood trauma because I think there is like this idea that Asian people never talk about that kind of stuff or there's a stereotype. So I've been very open about this relationship I've had with my parents. That's a little difficult, but it actually ended up being very, very great. Like everything was fine. You know, we had like one or two fights, <laughs> which is expected nothing too severe and then the saipan part was amazing because like my son got to see it and it was really exciting yeah oh my gosh that's i feel like yeah there's so much to talk about there one of the things that i really appreciate that you do with your work is i don't know if i've ever seen this anywhere else where um you have like a really complicated relationship with your mom i think where you know she's done a lot of kind of messed up things to you during your childhood but in the end like you still really love her and still want to maintain that relationship despite all that and that's kind of like what the same thing I have with my mom and I really appreciate you like talking about this in like a very real way with the um, Asian American community because I feel like we have this really polished view of Asian American families for some reason. Like I think of fresh off the boat, mm -hmm. you know, where I'm like, nobody's mm -hmm. dad or mom acts like that. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, that's why I'm really glad you brought that up. I think in the Asian community, yeah, it's like these are very broad stereotypes, but like you have to respect your parents and honor them and you can't really say anything bad about them publicly. And I think a lot of Asian people 
feel that pressure, you know, and they would never say it. And But unfortunately, Asian people are human beings like everybody else in the world. A lot of us have abusive parents and a lot of us had abusive parents and live without realizing it. You know what I mean? Right. And without processing it, there's a huge scale, obviously, on like what kind of abuse people can go through. And some people, Asian people actually don't talk to their parents or they don't have relationships because of the history of abuse. And some people are like me where they've processed it and sort of lived through it. And some people, you know, don't even realize that they went through abuse. Part of the reason I'm so open is because I want wherever you are in that scale, the relationship with your parents to feel like like you're valid and like that's totally fine. If you're the perfect Asian <laughs> Harvard person, doctor, and you you're still making lunch for your mom every day, even though she like beat the F out of you, the S out of you. I don't know what the F is. <laughs> beat the F out of you. It's a Korean saying, but um like even if she beat the S out of you and you're still, you know, showing up and, you know, washing her sheets or whatever, the perfect Korean kid, Asian kid after going to Harvard, you're valid because that's valid. That's your life. And you have a very forgiving mind. And that's great. You you know, you care about your relationship with your mom that much and respect her that much. But if you're on the other end where you're not even talking to your parents as an Asian person, I know a lot of Asian people that live like that. And they're not only like feeling the pain of this like broken relationship, but this unbearable shame because they're like, I don't look like the person on Fresh Off the Boat or, you know, whatever representation or. Right. And I think that's totally valid. If you're not talking to your parents, you're right. You know, they shouldn't have hit you with that slipper. You know, (laughs) like that's horrible. I totally agree. So my relationship with my mom, yeah, and now it's fine but I did have years where I didn't talk to her and I felt so guilty about it and like I shouldn't have because I was processing stuff you know exactly exactly yeah yeah and I think what you said about shame is such a big thing because again not to over generalize but I feel like with a lot of Asian cultures there's this whole thing about losing face right being ashamed Mm -hmm. that xyz happened so not keeping up with appearances whatever those ideas might be so yeah that's why I think yeah. the work you do is so important. <laughs> Just getting it all out in the open, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, so, I mean, thank you so much for being like so complimentary, but it's so weird because all I'm doing is just being very honest. So it's like, sometimes it's hard for me to, when when I hear people compliment me in that way, I'm like, oh, I'm not really doing anything. But then I'm like, oh, I can see that other people don't want to say this kind of stuff. Sorry, I feel, I'm just feeling weird because I'm like, you're complimenting me and I'm like, God. <laughs> no, no, I get it. You're just doing your thing, living your truth, which yeah, you're doing a great job, but I won't say anything more about it. If you're looking for a taste of something new, then I am excited to tell you about foods that matter. A new podcast that takes foodies to different corners of the world, unlocking the secrets of the globe's most extraordinary cuisines. Join host and food archaeologist John Robert Sutton, also known as the Indiana Jones of food, on a culinary thrill across the world, where you'll gain deep insights into food culture, a better understanding of food origins, and learn how to discover these culinary treasures all on your own. Follow Foods That Matter wherever you listen to podcasts. (laughs) 
So I think you said you were born in Korea, but I think you spent the most amount of time in your childhood in Saipan. How long were you in Korea and how long were you in Saipan about? Um, it's a little, it's not that, it's like birth to six years old Korea and then six to 16 Saipan. And then I lived in Korea again from 16 to 20. I see. I'm wondering if you could explain your family dynamic a little bit. Yeah, sure. So uh, like I said, I'm biracial. My mom is Korean and my dad is white and he's American. I guess something that's a little unique about them compared to other Korean white people or, or American people that are my age is that my dad wasn't in the military. And my parents actually met in Fairbanks, Alaska. Yeah, <laughs> it's very random. My mom married somebody in the U.S. military, I think, with the plan on leaving Korea. And then they moved to Fairbanks, Alaska. And my mom had my sister. I have an older half-sister. And she got divorced and then met my dad there. And he was like a small airplane pilot. I don't know what they're called. Like those small seaplanes. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Small airplanes. Yeah. Seaplanes? Yes. (laughs) He's going to be so mad if he hears this. He's like, I've talked about this all my life every day. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You're not. You're not flying them, young me. <laughs> Probably. You know. You don't need to know that. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. I'm never ever gonna get into becoming a pilot. Don't worry. Everyone is safe. Yeah. So then, and then when my mom became pregnant, they decided to move back to Korea because my mom had had a hard time, you know, raising my sister alone as In a single Alaska. mom. Basically. Oh my god. <laughs> In Alaska, she was working at Baskin Robbins. I was oh. like, dang. Oh jeez. That sounds rough. <laughs> I was like, we're gonna Baskin Robbins. It sounds like somebody like spun the wheel on like situations you could be in in America, like location, like Fairbanks, Alaska. Your job is working at Baskin Robbins. It's like America on mega hard hard mode. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so you met my dad, and then they moved. I was born in Korea, and then I was my first few years of my life. I lived in Songtan, which is like near uh, Osan Air Base. And then we lived on Jeju Island, Jeju-do. And then we moved to Saipan. I see. What brought you guys to Saipan? It's hard to explain because I think a lot of people assume that, you know, my dad's in the military and then I moved around because I was like a military brat. But I'm like, nope, my parents are just like, they just like to travel and they literally had no plan. And they, they're still kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's so interesting. Do you mind explaining your relationship with Saipan? Yeah, um, I love Saipan. I really, it's a wonderful place. I also feel very protective of it. And when I talk about Saipan itself and the people that live there, I, I like want so much for the world to know about it because, you know, the Chamorros who are the indigenous population of Saipan, they've been through so much. And, and you know, as an East Asian person, it's very important for me to point out the fact that Pacific Islanders were colonized by east asian people you know like we are the white people of the pacific (laughs) islands and a lot of times the reason i won't won't talk about saipan is because i feel like a poor representative for Mm. like i would rather a tomorrow person talk about it do you know what i mean um so i'm very careful to say it's, it's a wonderful island it's a beautiful culture there's a lot of history there there is a lot of japanese influence and there's a lot of like 
World War history stuff that people know about it. But I think my main focus is to make sure that the people in the culture is respected. But that having been said, unfortunately, you know, when I talk about Saipan, it's like just relates to my childhood and my story and my family. So like the travel videos that you were talking about unfortunately they're just kind of about me and like like my sad life you know while I was there which is what I was like thinking about while I was there so I just made this video like oh it's such a beautiful wonderful place and it's paradise but for me I'm just sad because I remember all the sad stuff and I'm sure a lot of people relate to that you know when they go home and there's part of you that's you know, wherever you're from, you feel very comfortable going back to the physical location that smells like home to you, you know, like the air and like the water. It's very familiar, but then the sad memories are also there. So it's 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 like a mixed bag of very deep emotions. Right. Your mom also, when you guys were living in Saipan, she actually worked at a hotel, right? At a resort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Did you grow up kind of at the resort too um, because she worked there? Yes. Did you spend a lot of time there? I did. I, I spent a lot of time there and then we, we were sort of left to play, which was really fun. You know, it's like I became friends with another kid who became my best friend whose mom worked there. And so we just ran around the beach and like the water park all day. And so it was really fun. But it was like, I think for most of us, even if you had a very hard or very great childhood, there's both aspects. There are parts of it that were like super fun. And we got to like explore this beautiful tropical island. But then it was like basically negligent abuse. (laughs) You know, like it's like, where was my mom? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like I was seven. I was like, why was I like, and I just think back on all these adventures that I got in with my friend. And I was like, where the hell were our parents? (laughs) Like, Why were we allowed to do that? Like, you know, it's stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Bittersweet. Yeah. Um, Yeah, not the same thing, but my family had a Chinese restaurant. So, you know, my my parents or my mom would also be working and, you know, I would just be off doing my own thing, too. So I relate solidarity with working mom, working Asian mom stuff. (laughs) I totally think that's the same thing. I think a lot of like Asian people not only Asian Americans, but in Asia, like know that sort of feeling of my parents are busy and you're stranded at their work. And like, you have to figure out how to keep yourself entertained, you know? Yeah. Um, Okay. So I guess, how did it feel traveling back to these places, having not been there in a really long time? What emotions are you feeling? You know, what surprised me, I felt most of my emotions when I went to Saipan. And there were like these dormant, deep emotions that I did not realize I still had. And then like there was this one night where my mom and I finally got into a fight. You know, it was like day 28 of my trip and we were on Saipan and we got in this big fight. And my friend was like, well, I'm going to come by and pick you up. And he like just rolled up. And I just like remembered when I like lived there, like, you know, the resorts are all these like East Asian tourists mostly. And they're all like dressed up fancy and they're like getting driven around in like taxis or whatever. Yes. And he just rolled up in his pickup truck. It was like dirty because he lives up in the mountain. 
And he just had like these busted flip flops on with like covered in mud and just wearing like shorts, you know, just like smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and he was just like, hey, and he just like rolled in and he um, like just immediately opens up like a cooler in the back of his pickup truck and like throws me a Bud Light. And I was like, oh, this is like I remember this when we used to live here and like we would come pick up my mom from work because all the people that live on Saipan are like super casual and you know, we're always like coming from the beach or something. So we always have sand and, and wearing like just swimsuit bottoms. And it's very stark, the difference between people that live there and obviously stay at the resorts. And I was like, oh, I remember how like how much fun that was when we would show up and just walk into the Continental Buffet, like in our flip flops and stuff like that. And in my memory of Saipan, it feels very isolating and lonely. But then I was like, oh, no, I remember I had like a safety net, like a friend safety net, you know. Oh, that is so beautiful. And I guess maybe you might have felt isolated or alone at that time, like having this big fight with your mom and then realizing you still have your network there. What was it like also traveling to these places with your son? It was really amazing seeing what he reacted to. And what he liked and he disliked. Like, he loved Saipan so much. And we rented, like, a Mustang. <laughs> it was, like, the cheapest rent-a-car. I was like, sure, we'll take the Mustang. And we, like, were driving around with a top down. And, uh, you know, it's, like, a really small island. And I was kind of, like, worried that he'd be bored or something. Because, you know, like, in New York, he's always, like, doing so many millions of activities. But he, like, loved it. And I was like... <laughs> Yeah, of course he loves it. It's like a beautiful beach. You can just walk on the beach and look at crabs and little fish. And he really loved the sea cucumbers, which grossed me out. But he was like, I love them. And like <laughs> squishing them, <laughs> squishing the water out and stuff. And he just loved like chilling and like sitting in the convertible and like right, like driving around this island, just doing nothing. And I was like, yeah, of course, of course he loves this. He's a kid, but. It surprised me because I thought he would be like, I'm bored, you know, like, so I guess it was like pleasantly surprising, like to see what he would like. I love that. I'm glad it was a positive experience for both of you guys. So this trip obviously had some highs and some lows, but do you regret going at all or did you feel like it was a growing experience for you? Oh, no, I don't regret going at all. I think it was really great. I remember going back before that trip and it was way worse like it was traumatizing and I think it was because I hadn't processed a lot of stuff from my childhood and I think maybe I still haven't processed that but I think COVID made me different in a way where it made me a little bit more resilient because like so many you know obviously for everybody so many horrible things happened yes and then and then I was like fine you know I think I processed so much without even realizing because I was going through so much like turmoil. And then so I, I felt so strong, like so much stronger when I was in Korea this time than previous trips. And I was like, yeah, I can handle this. What am I complaining about? You know, like when you grow in a way, like, you know, you're practicing. What, I, sorry, this is a piano analogy. Sorry. <laughs> it's Asian alert, whatever. You're practicing something and you're making gradual um gradually advancing and you don't even notice and then one day you're like you listen to a record of you playing piano yeah five years ago and you're like oh yeah okay I've I've it was like that like I didn't notice until I went there that I had I had changed so much you know you're an expert piano player now young me 
Yes. yes. I'm just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> I could not do that. My mom made, tried to make me go to piano when I was a kid. That was, I, I could not do it. It was the one thing she couldn't like force me to do. I did learn the clarinet against really? my will. <laughs> wow. But I'm not good at it. But I, I think if I picked one up today, I could probably still play it. Yeah. Threateningly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. You have a new book coming out. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, I can totally talk about it. Um, the interesting thing is a lot of the chapters are about what I sort of touched on today. But it's, you know, obviously when I'm on podcasts, when I had my own, you know, the Asian feeling Asian, like Asian identity podcast or Harry Butthole now, I sort of talk about ideas in these like abstract ways, kind of like this is what I think about this, whatever. But in the book, it's very much taking form as like, it, it, obviously it's a memoir. So it's like these stories that I have like so many stories that I just have never told. And I'm a comedian, so they're obviously funny, but they are also very sad. <laughs> but that's the concept of the book. It's called I'm Laughing Because I'm Crying, which is like, you know, obviously a very popular thing that a lot of comedians talk about. You know, a lot of our comedy comes from trauma but not only do I talk about my own life and things that happen to me that are sad and funny, but I also I talk about generationally where that came from because it's like I could trace it back to my family members through stories from my mom. And so there's a little bit of that in there and this concept or this practice of making yourself laugh because if you don't laugh you're gonna cry and then you just end up doing both like that, <laughs> like where that comes from in my family you know yes as well as just like I think funny funny stories about you know growing up as an Asian person and you know I think I, I like talk about stuff about certain aspects of specifically Korean culture in a way that I have not seen and I think it's really funny and I think it'll be like relatable, hopefully, but I don't know. I know it will be. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I can't wait to read hopefully. it. <laughs> I think it's really awesome that you like draw the dots between your mom's behavior and like trauma that she's experienced because I feel like that generation of people that come from East Asia, like all of them just horribly traumatized, you know? Um, so traumatized. Yes. Oh my God. That's a whole other level, I feel like, those poor people. Yikes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in a way, it's like, you know, you can't excuse the behavior, but at the same time, it makes sense, like, why, why they're like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The funny thing is, I have this, like desire to want to be funny because of that you know what I mean like my mom was always like she's always she's her personality we have very similar personalities she's a Leo and <laughs> so she takes up even more room than I do but she developed that part of her personality as a survival mechanism you know right exactly and she taught me she taught it to me as a survival mechanism because yes. for Asian women that's like what you have to do you have to be pretty and then not talk or I don't know be funny Exactly. Well, it was so great to be able to talk to you today, young me, and thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much to young me for taking the time to chat with me. And don't worry, young me and I did not fight to the death after the recording ended. 
If you'd like to hear more from her, you can find her on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at YMMayor, and on her podcast, Harry Butthole, which is available exclusively on Joy Sauce. Young Me is also writing a book called I'm Laughing Because I'm Crying, which is set to publish in 2025. Ready for more unpacking? Visit afar.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Afar Media. If you enjoyed today's exploration, I hope you'll come back for more great stories. Subscribing makes this easy. You can find Unpacked on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to rate and review the show. It helps other travelers find it. This season, we also want to hear from you. Is there a travel dilemma, trend, or topic you'd like us to explore? Drop us a line at unpacked@afar.com. This has been Unpacked, a production of Afar Media. The podcast is produced by Aislinn Green and Nikki Galtaland. Music composition by Chris Collin. And remember, the world is complicated. We're here to help you unpack it. Unpacked.